Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. This is our Thursday episode, which means we are going over a US state, the history of that state, and today is New Jersey. They were third to enter the union, and so this is our third state podcast. Um, I did not know much about New Jersey before this podcast. I knew like about the Jersey Shore, <laughs> which people from New Jersey probably hate that show. Um, but I have watched it before <laughs> and that's pretty much all I knew about New Jersey. I knew that it's like in the East and there's good beaches and things like that, but, um, I did not know much about it. So we are going over the state of New Jersey. It was very central. It has a lot of U.S. history, like Revolutionary War history, Civil War history. So it's actually very, very interesting and it was great to learn about. So stay tuned. We're talking about New Jersey. Okay, let's get into a little bit of the just like the stats and the cut and dry facts before we get into the history of New Jersey. So the capital is in Trenton, Trenton, New Jersey, and the state motto is liberty and prosperity. Now, this actually makes more sense, I guess, than I thought because I didn't really realize how central uh, New Jersey was to the war and uh, the Civil War and and actually how much of an industrial or how much the industrial revolution really helped them and how they were central to it so all of these things i didn't really know again i've just thought of new jersey as the jersey shore i'm very sorry to any new jerseyans out there but their state motto is liberty and prosperity <clears throat> and that's going to make a lot of sense once we talk about the history of the state the nickname is the Garden State. The state song is called I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> and the population is just over 9 million as of 2020. So it's kind of crowded. I, I think the population density is somewhat high, but the geography is, it is the fifth smallest state. It is not big. If you are looking at it on the map, it's gonna be in the Northeast part. It's all surrounded by water. It's like this little, peninsula um except for a 50 mile northeast boundary with new york so a lot of new jerseyans will drive like from new jersey will live in new jersey and drive into new york for work and make that commute it's like an hour away um so there's 130 miles of coastline the high point is 1800 feet there are 8,700 square miles enclosed in the geographical area. 41.9% of that is forested land area, which always seems so high to me. The three states that we've studied so far seems like they have way more forested land area than what was in my mind. 42% seems extremely high. <laughs> so yeah, that's always been been interesting. I wonder... I just never thought of that as forested land. But anyway, so the dimensions roughly, it's obviously not a perfect square, but it's roughly 150 miles by 70 miles dimensions. So not very big at all. Okay, I always also like to do a 
why is it named what it's named? So why is New Jersey called New Jersey? This is very <clears throat> deep into the historical roots of New Jersey, but it's kind of, it's actually more the history of England a little bit. So I'm just going to read this little thing or summarize this uh, article. It's called, it's on the website jerseysbest.com. And they have summarized pretty nicely why New Jersey is named New Jersey. And it gets a little complicated. So here we go. This says, a British crown dependency, the island of Jersey, is located off the northwest coast of France and is the largest channel, largest of the Channel Islands. Okay, so this is in response to the question, like, if this is called New Jersey, where is the original just Jersey? So the answer to that is this island. It's called uh, the island of Jersey off the co coast of France. Now, Jersey, formerly known as the Bailiwick of Jersey remained loyal to the British crown during the English Civil War in the 1600s, which, to be honest, I didn't even know that there was an English Civil War in the 1600s. I thought that whatever would have been considered the English Civil War ended up being the Revolutionary War where we got our own country. Not true. They had an English Civil War in the 1600s. Okay. Now, in the 1640s, Charles II of England, the Prince of Wales, was granted sanctuary on the island of Jersey during the war. Following his father's death, Charles II was publicly proclaimed King of England while on the island in 1649. Now, you might have heard of Charles II from our other state podcast because he's the one that gave charters to a lot of the other colonies. Like, he gave William Penn the charter to the Pennsylvania area, um, you know, as repayment for his father's debt. So we've heard of Charles II before, but I did not know that he like had gr uh, been granted sanctuary on the island of Jersey. All of this stuff is new, but this is the same Charles II. So he was proclaimed King of England in 1649. He said, as King, Charles divided the lands of North America and the region between New England and Maryland. Uh, oh, wait, let's see. I read that wrong. As king, Charles divided the lands of North America and the region between New England and Maryland was given to his brother, Duke of York. Now, that Duke of York later became King James II. But that land that was given to the Duke of York eventually was divided between two men who were considered the most loyal to the crown during the English Civil War. Those two men were named Sir George Carteret and Lord John Berkeley of Stratton. Now, it says, none of these have pointed back directly to New Jersey, but it says, of course, if you don't, didn't know, Sir Carteret had been governor of the island of Jersey. Thus, the land was named the province of New Jersey. So that is a very roundabout way to get to the name New Jersey. For like Pennsylvania, they just said, yeah, name it after this guy, William Penn. For Delaware, they said, yep, here's a Delaware River. Maybe we should name the state Delaware. <laughs> For this, it's like, it's pretty roundabout, but we got there. It's called New Jersey after Sir Carteret, who was the governor of the island of Jersey which is where King Charles II, who was giving out charters, was granted sanctuary and became king. 
There it is. That's why it's called New Jersey. Okay, so that was a bit of English history for you. Let's get into the actual history of the territory. So, obviously, before there were any European explorers or settlers, there were Native Americans that lived there. Now, these are the same groups that we've discussed when we talked about Pennsylvania and Delaware. They were all labeled as like by Europeans as Delaware Indians. So there were anywhere from 8,000 to 20,000 Delaware Indians who lived here when the Europeans first arrived. They spoke an Algonquian, I think is how you pronounce it, dialect. Um, So they kind of were considered one tribe, but they didn't act as a unified group. So they lived in smaller communities of extended family members and they lived all throughout parts of Delaware, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, which conveniently are the three states that we have already studied. So that's nice. Um, this is this whole area is very, very cutting edge with like settling the colonies, and um, they all kind of settled this region at a similar time, which is why, uh, you know we all kind of talk about this group of three I'm learning as like one region. This charter was kind of all given as one region. Okay. So the very first European like contact with this area was in 1524. Giovanni di Verrazzano uh, became the first European to kind of explore the coast. So he sailed along the coast and anchored off of Sandy Hook but from what I am aware of, he did not like go in and try to settle or explore too much. He mostly sailed on the coast. So that's the first European kind of contact, but really where the colonization period kind of starts, the marker for it is in 1609 where Henry Hudson sailed through the Newark Bay. So technically he was British, but he actually worked for the Netherlands he was like settling and colonizing and exploring for the Netherlands. So he actually, although he was British, claimed the land for the Dutch and called it New Netherlands. And his ship that he sailed in was called Half Moon. If that's a trivia question, you are welcome. Um, So the first colonizers were Dutch because of that. And they established that New Netherland colony located along the Hudson River. Well, the Dutch, the Swedes, and the Finns all pretty quickly after that had a presence in New Jersey. They all started coming and setting up their their colonies. So this town called Bergen, or this area called Bergen, Bergen, was founded in 1660 and was New Jersey's first permanent European settlement. There was also a Swedish colony that was established on the Delaware River to the south. It was pretty short-lived. But then in 1664, the English ended up conquering the region and naming the two, the area between those two rivers New Jersey. And those two rivers being the Delaware River on the western part and then the Hudson on the east. So New Jersey Falls kind of right in between those two rivers. Okay, so let's see. Uh, in 1664, the Dutch lost New Netherlands when the British took control of the land and ended up adding it to their colonies. So they divided the land in half and gave, this is when the split happened between Sir George Carteret and Lord John Berkeley. So this 
that split that ended up leading to the name of New Jersey, that was this 1664 whole event where England came over and took control over the Dutch. Okay, Berkeley and Carteret ended up selling that land at low prices and allowing the settlers that came to have political and religious freedom. It says, as a result, New Jersey is more ethnically diverse than many other colonies, or was more ethnically diverse. It was primarily rural at this time, and the colony grew to about 100,000 people, but still primarily rural and, um, I believe, agricultural in focus. Okay, eventually the governing power was transferred back to England, and for many years, New Jersey shared a royal governor with New York. Now, the governorship was finally split in 1738, uh, when New Jersey got its own governor. So leading up to the revolution, everything was going, you know, fine. They were under English rule. The governorship split in 1738. So that's where we are right now. Now, New Jersey was very key, as I mentioned, in the Revolutionary War. So it's situated right between New York City, which was British occupied, and the rebel capital of Philadelphia. So if you remember in our Pennsylvania episode, Philadelphia was the capital of the entire, like, of the United States, basically, before it was the U.S. So it was considered the rebel capital, which is Philadelphia. So it, this is, like, sandwiched right in between. So, naturally, about a third of the people in New Jersey supported the rebel cause, a third supported England, and a third roughly stayed neutral. It was repeatedly invaded. George Washington spent more of the war in New Jersey than in any other state, and there were more battles fought there than were fought in any other state during the Revolutionary War. There were a hundred battles in New Jersey, which for being such a small land area, <clears throat> that means it's like it's very central. So one of the biggest battles of the war was the Battle of Trenton. Washington won this battle in 1776, and it's described as one of the most important military victories ever. Um, if he had lost it, it said the nation likely would have just perished in its infancy. The war would have been very, very short. <laughs> um, but since they won, it kind of started turning the tides of the Revolutionary War. New Jersey has also been called the crossroads of the American Revolution, so you know, that's a, kind of another state nickname, even though it's not the official one. But this is why, because so many battles and things were fought in New Jersey. So let's go, I'm just going to like summarize this Battle of Trenton because I thought this is a good opportunity to just take a little side tangent on this battle and we can all learn something because I did not realize the whole scene where Washington is crossing the Delaware was for this battle. So... This says, in November of 1776, the British gained control of New Jersey and forced Washington to flee into Pennsylvania. They thought no one would fight during winter, because that was kind of the standard back then. No one fought during winter. So the British and Hessian soldiers in New Jersey divided into camps to just settle down and say, stay until spring. Trenton was considered the most desirable post, and it went to the Hessian soldiers as a reward for their good service. The Hessians used the old barracks in Trenton as headquarters. So they're sitting there, they're thinking like, 
they're going to just chill there until spring. The war is at a pause until better weather is coming. So the British didn't, did not chase Washington across the Delaware River because it was full of blocks of ice that made it dangerous to cross. The Hessians didn't patrol along the river because they thought Washington couldn't cross back. Again, they were assuming that in winter, like, no one's going to war. But in December, Washington and his men decided to cross. Washington's men had to push away blocks of ice from the boat's path while paddling hard to fight the strong current. So they also didn't have, like motorboats you know they had to like paddle across there's a current there's ice it it was dangerous it wasn't like just an easy peasy cross along the delaware river so once across washington decided to separate and surprise the hessians in trenton from two sides the plan worked the patriots captured 900 prisoners while only four american soldiers were wounded so which I guess makes sense, but that is amazing because you would think in any battle in the Revolutionary War, a lot of people are getting injured, wounded, or killed. And for only four American soldiers to get wounded, it said that the plan worked. They were completely caught off guard and they won this huge Battle of Trenton. Okay, so the war continues. We kind of know the history of that. Like, we win. We have a Continental Congress or a Constitutional Convention. Anyway, so New Jersey was the third to adopt the U.S. Constitution. They were also the first to approve the Bill of Rights. So in 1787, at the Constitutional Convention, the New Jersey delegate William Patterson put forward the the New Jersey Plan. It was labeled the New Jersey Plan because he was the New Jersey delegate. So this is like when they have just become a state. They've approved the Bill of Rights. We're, you know, the the United States were under the Articles of Confederation. But now we're having the Constitutional Convention and, you know, we've all approved this. But we also needed to organize how the country was going to be run. Like the Senate, the House, all of that was kind of still being decided. So the New Jersey plan is what led to the establishment of the U.S. Senate. The plan said that every state should have equal representation in the Senate, regardless of their size or population. Now, of course, this makes sense for New Jersey to want because they're so small. They're not going to have the biggest population. They're not going to have the biggest land area. And so his, William Patterson's idea was that like, hey, we should have just equal representation no matter the size of your state because they didn't want to get screwed out of representation. This is the whole reason they fought the war is to get represented. So they wanted equal representation, which led to the Senate. Now, today in the Senate, everyone gets two chairs, regardless of size of the population. And then the House, you get the number of seats uh, determined by the your population. So that was the kind of checks and balances. But I forgot that this was called the New Jersey Plan. So fun fact for you. Uh, in 1790, Trenton became the official capital of New Jersey. In 1791, Alexander Hamilton and his associates selected an area along the Passaic River, and that was the first planned industrial city. So just like kind of Delaware and parts of Pennsylvania, this was a very central part in the Industrial Revolution. There were a lot of rushing waters from the rivers, which helped power the textile factories. 
So New Jersey was crucial in building canals, roads. The first steam railroad in America was made in Hoboken. So from the time that New Jersey became a state to like the Civil War, there was um, a lot of this industry that was starting to get developed, a lot of textile factories and stuff like that. During the Civil War, Jersey, New Jersey was prominent and, and uh, played a big role in the battles. So they provided 31 regiments and over 25,000 New Jersey men fought on the Union side. Um, again, they're north of the whole like Mason-Dixon line. So they were considered the Union and they had very strong support for staying with the Union. Okay, after that war is when the big, like, industrial revolution happened. Obviously, there was, like, groundwork being laid earlier um, with these textile factories and things like that. But this is when the industrial revolutionary really became, revolution became key for New Jersey. The economy started to boom. They started building tons of stuff. Um, and so industry was, like, their big thing in the cities. But there was still a good amount of rural land and people who lived in like rural New Jersey, but their economy was really run from manufacturing and from industry. So this industrial revolution boom attracted a lot of immigrants, mostly at this time from Ireland and Germany. Later, more came in from Italy. And as more immigrants came in, the southern, more rural parts of the state kind of began to shrink. More people moved to the urban areas. In 1910, Woodrow Wilson became the governor. And you might recognize that name because he became the president just a couple years later. So he brought in lots of popular reforms like child labor um, and protection for worker laws. So he was very much on the side of like, unions and wanting to help these workers and he became the governor because of these ideas because New Jersey was so focused and so in he, they were really in this industrial revolution so this was very important to a lot of people he was uh championing these laws to protect uh children and just workers in general during this um, during this time, like in factories. So he was governor for three years, but then he left office to become president in 1913. Again, he was very popular because of these worker protection laws that he was championing. He is the only New Jersey governor to have ever become president. So, um, and I actually heard, we're going to eventually do a podcast on each president I heard like he was popular enough obviously to get voted in, but I'm pretty sure he was like considered one of the worst presidents. I'll have to double check my facts on that, but I'm I'm like 90% sure. Okay, the other thing is that's very important to note is that Thomas Edison is from New Jersey. He established a pioneering research and development enterprise within New Jersey. This is where like he invented the light bulb, there were sound recordings, motion pictures, commercial electric service, and un these other innovations were either invented or improved in New Jersey under Thomas Edison's um, like enterprise. 
So they were kind of on the cutting edge with a lot of things, which so it makes sense that in 1919, the year that women got the right to vote, the first passenger flight in American history was flown from New York to Atlantic City. I never, I guess, knew that the first like passenger flight and the suffrage movement, I've never, I guess, in my head put those together as the same time period, but it was indeed the same year. So it, it took off from New York and it landed in Atlantic City, New Jersey. So they have an important role in uh, flight. The Great Depression hit in the 1930s and it hit New Jersey very hard. There's a ton of unemployment because since it was a huge industrial center when the Great Depression hit, it was just like everyone's jobs went away. It rebounded during World War II and in the 1940s as New Jersey's electronics and chemical industries began large-scale operations, the economy really came back and made a recovery. But that would be really scary to be a, you know, a New Jersey resident, this like booming economy, especially, you know, the roaring 20s was like this great economically prosperous time. You just would think like, yeah, we're we're just set here. We have all these good jobs. We have all this good manufacturing, you know, these child labor laws and worker protection laws are going into place. All of that seems amazing. It would be very scary for the Great Depression to hit and just have like nothing because everything your economy relied on is like not producing jobs anymore. That would be terrible. Um, so I don't know, just, you always read about these huge events, like in a textbook, you're like, yep, the Great Depression, but you know, we got out of the Great Depression, so it doesn't seem as weighty, you know, but thinking even about like the 2008 recession and a lot of people like lost their retirement, there was like a higher unemployment. There were just things that weren't going that well and people were panicking like with COVID. I'm sure people in 50 years will read about it and be like, okay, you know, we made it out of COVID, but to actually like live through it is a whole different thing. I can't imagine living through the Great Depression, which makes me want to go back and watch the American Girl movie about Kit because she <laughs> lived through the Great Depression. And that is a fantastic movie that I think showed like how difficult it was. Like people on their street would just like one by one kind of have to foreclose on their house and didn't have jobs and things like that. Okay, so then like the, around the 1950s, mid 1900s, there was a lot of focus on the transportation because people started kind of moving from the overpopulated cities back to like more rural areas. And so there was a big focus on transportation to connect the state more. So that's when the Jersey Turnpike and the Garden State Parkway were opened to help, help connect the more rural areas to the cities. So that's the history of New Jersey. Again, very central to all the wars, the conflicts, the Industrial Revolution. It is a very historically significant part of America, which was lost on me before this podcast. So let's go into the state symbols. This is always kind of my favorite part. Um, it's interesting to see why they chose each symbol. Okay, so the state fish. The state fish is the brook trout. And this threw me off a little bit because I was I was like, wait, we already had a state with the brook trout. What are the odds that we have had two already and we've only done three states? Well, turns out, as I was looking this up, I realized 
that there's like something like 15 states that have the brook trout or some variation of the brook trout as their state. So there'll be like Appalachian brook trout or Eastern brook trout or something. So there's a few of those, but like over 10 states have just the brook trout as their state fish. So this is not the most unique quality about New Jersey. It says the brook trout is native to New Jersey. You can find a brook, if you can find a brook trout, you know the water is good quality because brook trout cannot survive in polluted water. This is kind of a standard thing I'm realizing where the state animal or the state bug or whatever, a lot of times they choose it because, or they choose an animal or bug or whatever that can't survive in polluted water. So it's raising efforts for conservation or it's pointing out the fact they have clean water. Um, so that is seems to track with other states that we've talked about. The state dance, which not every state has a state dance, but they do, New Jersey does. It is the square dance. It has been designated as the American folk dance of the state of New Jersey. Uh, that happened in 1983. All right, state reptile is the bog turtle. Now the bog turtle is a tiny dark turtle. It has a distinct orange patch behind the ear membrane on both sides of their head. There's a very long description about what this turtle actually <laughs> looks like. I'll save you that, but um, essentially it's one of the most, it's one of the smallest and most secretive of North America, of North America's turtles. It's only about 10 centimeters long as adult, as an adult, which is just like a few inches. So it's a very tiny turtle, but it's found in New Jersey. All right, the state bird is the Eastern Goldfinch, which is very pretty. Like the pictures of the Eastern Goldfinch are, they're so cute and very beautiful. It's bright yellow with a black head and wings, and it has some like white streaks in there. And they love to eat sunflower seeds, <laughs> which is so cute. But they are also found a lot in New Jersey. The state fruit is a blueberry. Um, the blueberry was first cultivated in Whitesbog and it became the official state fruit in 2004. Now, again, it's very common apparently to have like school aged kids decide some of these state symbols. So in 2003, fourth graders at Veterans Memorial Elementary School uh, campaigned to make the blueberry the official state fruit. It said the students had their idea introduced to the legislation and conducted a lobbying campaign to see its passage, including media interviews, a letter and a petition drive, um, presentations to local governing bodies, and a trip to the state's blueberry festival in Whitesbog. They also traveled to Trenton to make presentations before the uh, Senate and the Assembly Committees. And then in 2004, the whole campaign worked and it was named the official state fruit. That would have been such a good learning experience for a fourth grade class, like to actually conduct like a full campaign, do interviews, and then go present to the Senate and Assembly. Like that is very valuable. So good job to that teacher for taking them through the whole process. Uh, New Jersey has the a state ship, which is the USS New Jersey. It's known as 
the battleship New Jersey, and it was launched in 1942. It was engaged in three world war, uh, three wars. So it was World War II, Korean War, and Vietnam War. It's become one of the most decorated battleships in the naval history of the U.S. And you can still go and actually see that, um, which is one of the attractions that I have listed. The state animal is the horse. Michael McCarthy and his fifth grade class at Our Lady of Victory's school in Harrington Park. And James Sweetman, an eighth grader from Freehold, helped make the horse New Jersey state animal in 1977. The horse is included on the state seal and horses were very important to the rural areas and for farming. And today people continue to raise horses in New Jersey. A lot of race horses also come out of New Jersey. So that was interesting. The state bug is the honeybee. Um, a lot of honeybees are in uh, New Jersey apparently, and it was signed into law in 1974. This was also highly encouraged by a group of school children. And then we've talked about the state dog multiple times, like in all of, oh wait, I wanna do, I want to mention first the state flower is the violet um it's just very popular in new jersey there's not much more of an explanation than it's just like you can find a lot of violets in new jersey okay so now let's get to the state dog we've talked about a few state dogs and i was confused because we've talked about how in delaware they don't actually have a state dog breed um they had the rescue dog as their state dog because they have a lot of rescue shelters. It is very similar with New Jersey. Actually, just January of 2020 is when they adopted their state dog, and it is now the seeing eye dog. I guess I have to get on board with these because then the reaction should be like, oh, that's so cool. They have a seeing eye dog as their state dog, or like they have a rescue dog as their state dog. But I'm a little bit bitter that it's not just breeds. I would like breeds of dogs to be the state dog. I don't know. If there's going to be a non-breed, a seeing eye dog is pretty cool. I do watch this YouTuber, or I did. I forget her name, but she is legally blind and has a seeing eye dog. And she's had a few dogs since I've been watching her. And they are so well-trained and so helpful the fact that we can just train a dog and they're so good and they go and can help lead a blind person is just amazing. So I guess I have to be on board <laughs> with this, but I am excited to see the states who have actually chosen a breed. Also, my friend Sam and I, who has been on the podcast before, would like to start a campaign to have the um, Bernese Mountain Dog be Colorado's state dog. So maybe we'll start a petition for that and, and you know, take after this fourth grade class who went through the whole process of getting that adopted. But come on, the Bernese Mountain Dog, we have mountains in Colorado. I think that should be our state dog and we do not have one currently. So if you would like to sign the petition, let me know, DM me, and we'll start that. Okay, um, let's see, is that all the symbols that I wanted? Yeah, I think I think that's enough. Okay, so famous people from New Jersey. Let's go over just a few of them. There's a lot of people who are famous from New Jersey. In rapid fire fashion, 
Frank Sinatra, Shaquille O'Neal, Whitney Houston, Meryl Streep, Danny DeVito, Jack Nicholson, Joe Pesci, Bruce Springsteen, Ice-T, Martha Stewart, John Bon Jovi, John Travolta, Peter Dinklage, and I had to give a special shout out, the cast of Jersey Shore, <laughs> Snooki, Wow, The Situation, all of them, they're all from Jersey Shore, naturally. <laughs> okay, and then the last little section here I want to go over is the attractions. What can you do if you're going to go visit New Jersey? So there's a quite a few that I have pointed out. Like a lot of them are coastal, like different kind of beaches or not carnivals, but kind of like piers. Uh, because as I was mentioning, New Jersey is so uh, co coastal. Like there's way more coast than there is any mainland board, uh, boundary. Because the only thing not surrounded by water is that 50 mile uh, boundary with New York. So the rest of it's pretty much water. And so if you look at like top attractions of New Jersey, a lot of it's like this pier, like Casino Pier and Breakwater Beachwater Park. It has attractions, it has, you know, water. So all that's very cool. Um, but I wanted to highlight some that are not just piers, <laughs> which one of them is, again, Battleship New Jersey, which is that we went over the history of that. It's the state ship. You can go and tour that. And it's, I guess it's the longest battleship ever built. But there's a bunch of exhibits in there that illustrate the whole history of it. You can sit in the Admiral's chair, try out the bunks, all of this stuff. You can really like go in and experience how it would have been to have been on the ship, which is cool. They also have the Thomas Edison National Historical Park. It is the preservation site of Thomas Edison's home and laboratory. And if you're interested in science or inventions or any of that, this is a very, very good place to go. They also have the Liberty Science Center, which um, it's a very fun, really high tech sort of museum and science center for kids. <clears throat> so that I love looking at cities, science centers. I always think that is a really it's like a staple kind of of a good city so they do have a great science center okay if you want to go more naturey uh and outdoors there is the delaware water gap national recreation area it's sixty-seven thousand acres of forested mountains this is where that 42 percent of the state being forested comes in this is forested mountains riverine valleys and fertile floodplains um, so you can like do anything outdoors here you want, hike, paddle, you know, anything you want, anything you want to keep cold. Um, they have a good zoo. Let me see what these other ones, again, it's a lot of, a lot of piers. There's the Monmouth, Monmouth Battlefield State Park, very central. Um, it was one of the largest battles of the American Revolution happened here. So you can go see that battlefield. There's also in the city more, um, it's called Liberty State Park. It says one of the few New Jersey attractions where you can see the Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island, and Manhattan skyline, the Liberty State Park is a lovely spot for a picnic with a Hudson River view. So that's not really an official like museum or attraction, but it's definitely a good spot to visit to kind of see the entire, uh, like all these historical landmarks. 
And I think that's pretty much it. Again, there's a lot more. There's like a great lighthouse, but those are the main ones that I wanted to highlight. I'm, I had no idea that Edison and all of his inventions happened in New Jersey. So that was really good to learn about. Um, okay, well, that is all for my history of New Jersey. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, let's see what our next state is. Next week is the history of Georgia. So stay tuned. We're venturing more south for next week. So I will see you then. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to rate and review. DM me on Instagram if you have any more topic suggestions that you would really like to hear about. And I hope everyone has a great weekend. Thanks, everyone. Bye.